Hi everybody, and welcome back to Neuropod, a series about Neuralink and related topics. My name is Ryan Tanaka, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the brain, how much we don't know about it, and memory. Do you ever wonder about how the brain works? Do you ever wonder why we, as a human collective, know so little on a relative scale about the brain? The adult human brain weighs about 3 pounds, but it consumes about 20% of the total energy our bodies use. That is nuts. If our entire body had the same weight to energy consumption ratio, we'd have to consume more than 20,000 calories per day. That's 75 slices of apple pie, or 256 eggs. Given the rise of the all-you-can-eat experience, maybe us Americans know something the rest of the world doesn't. The brain has numerous components. As Tim Urban describes in his excellent Wait But Why article, we can think of our brain as the combination of three brains, the reptilian brain, the paleomammalian brain, and the neomammalian brain. The oldest part, the reptilian brain, makes sure that our bodies perform regular functions. It controls our heart rate, ensures we breathe, maintains blood pressure, and so on. It also enables us to eat, see, hear, and stay balanced. The paleomammalian brain represents our limbic system. The limbic system is where the emotional roller coaster lives. It allows us to feel things like anxiety, sadness, frustration, and joy. Inside the system is the hippocampus, which, if you speak Greek, you know it means seahorse, so it's no surprise it kind of looks like one. Most of the brain is worth exploring, but this is particularly true of the hippocampus. The hippocampus is where memories are formed. For example, when we go to Chicago, walk down Michigan Avenue, turn down random blocks, and see how beautiful the city is, our memories of the layout are being created. Those memory file downloads will be moved to other parts of our brain for memory storage. I find memory to be quite a peculiar aspect of our lives. Old memories can invoke strong positive or negative emotions. They can be difficult to retrieve and easily transformed. At the end of the day, we are in essence the sum total of our memories and the memories we are a part of in other people. The parallels of our body and the computer are growing increasingly similar. Our computer's memory can be deleted, modified, or filled at any time. We have to revisit items to make sure we save them in the appropriate folders and the total system has limited storage capacity. If our brains no longer have the capacity to store new memories, we have to figure out how to create more space. Sometimes this means unintentionally forgetting older events, or recent but less important events. I predict there are also differences in everyone's storage capacity. In some cases, people have decreased ability to form memories. If they can't form them, they certainly won't be able to retrieve them. In other cases, people could be paying full attention to what's occurring, and their brain creates a memory file, but later when they go to retrieve it, the file is either misplaced, overwritten, or otherwise lost. Whether it's due to genetics or training, if one person has a greater ability to remember and retain information, that's clearly a huge advantage. And the contrary is true too. If someone has diminished ability to store and recall information, that's a disadvantage in most scenarios. I suppose the outlying events are those that are not pleasurable to remember, which is a nice transition to the next logical step. 
the idea of being able to intentionally delete, modify, or add memories. If our brain is our computer, and the hippocampus part of the limbic system is our memory formation system, and those memories are stored in various other parts of the brain, should we be able to intentionally erase bad memories from storage? I personally want to keep all the memories I currently have, but for someone with severe trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder, I'd expect that there would be substantial quality of life improvement if they could just delete those pertinent files. We'll explore this more in future episodes and probably discuss some of the advantages and disadvantages of these actions. There are some substantial ethics-related concerns here, so although my personal bias is net in favor of the tech the Neuralink team is building, it's worth presenting other viewpoints. At present, Neuralink isn't necessarily making these decisions. They're simply creating the technology that would enable this type of decision. All the procedures are elective, and I predict that'll remain the case forever. And that's a great thing. This topic brings out a spectrum of perspectives, and in some cases, the decisions aren't fully binary. So some people have legitimate concerns. Since our hippocampus is where memories are formed, it's likely also the location where Alzheimer's starts. If you missed the last episode, where we discussed Neuralink's ambitions to minimize the effects of Alzheimer's, I highly recommend checking that out. I'll provide a link with the video. If we can restore old memories, our lives can be much more fulfilling and productive. Around this time last year, I finally did something I had wanted to do for a long time, volunteer at a senior living facility. The primary task I was asked to help with was exactly what I most wanted to do. I got to interview the 50 plus residents and hear about their current family situation, hobbies, work experiences, and their upbringing. The stories were fascinating and they varied significantly. I could hear and see emotions of wonder, frustration, jealousy, and excitement. The memories that rise to the top are the stories of the highest highs and the lowest lows. Residents recounted memories of losing a father to war at a young age, marrying the person of their dreams, feeling left out at the community dinner table, the constant nagging of an immune disease, or the incredible joy that came from their first grandchild. These conversations helped me realize that although some people live a long time, the sum of memorable experiences is a more accurate way of measuring how full the life was. The daily cycle can be truly fulfilling, but when looking back on it, the event gets summarized into a simple phrase. I was a nurse for 40 years. If we could supplement this statement with a picture, we'd have a much more accurate understanding of what the phrase means. A picture in this scenario is truly worth a thousand words. Furthermore, a video could be worth a thousand pictures. And then beyond video, the next iteration is to have fully developed recordings of memory. These memories could then be downloaded and shared with two people that have brain-machine interfaces. Let's move on to the third section of the brain, which is the neomammalian brain, or the cortex. Tim Urban writes, The cortex is in charge of basically everything, processing what you see, hear, and feel, along with language, movement, thinking, planning, and personality. Elon Musk discussed the importance of the brain components that Neuralink plans to work with most. He states, I haven't met anyone yet who wants to get rid of either their cortex or their limbic system. 
Clearly, they work well together, even though your cortex is in principle far smarter than your limbic system. So hopefully we can have a tertiary layer, which is a digital superintelligence layer. And in fact, you already have this layer. It's your phone and your laptop. And the constraint is just how well you interface or the output and input speed. The output speed is especially slow since most people are typing with thumbs nowadays. This quote came from the Neuralink launch event last July. In most pictures of the brain, the cortex is depicted as a wrinkly, squishy outer layer. The reasons for this is that over time, through evolution, it's been advantageous to have a larger surface area to volume ratio. For the less sciencey folk, I should mention that this ratio comes up frequently in a variety of different applications. For example, animals that live in extremely cold environments like the North Pole or South Pole benefit from having a smaller surface area to volume ratio. Less surface area means less heat can escape. In the context of our brain, our bodies are physically limited to the size of our skull. When we're born, the cortex is pretty smooth, but with time, we develop more wrinkles to have more cortex. In an adult, the size of a completely unfolded cortex is one and a half feet by one and a half feet, like the size of a paper napkin. The cortex is where billions of neurons live. By working with the electric signals sent throughout the network of neurons in the cortex, Neuralink will be able to find strengths and weaknesses in a patient's cognitive ability. They can also send electric signals, or action potentials, back into the brain to help restore loss functionality. We'll do an episode focusing on neurons, so for now, back to the brain and thinking about how it's possible that in 2020, we know so little. The brain has plenty of different layers between the skin and the skull. Then, between the skull and the brain, there are several additional layers. As we dig deeper and deeper to uncover what makes the brain function, it makes me think about what Peter Thiel has stated about uncovering secrets. Peter Thiel is a founder and current chairman at Palantir Technologies. He's most known for being one of the original PayPal founders and former CEO. His book about startups, Zero to One, is one of my favorites. Thiel has written and spoken publicly about his finding regarding secrets. The secrets are truths that are yet to be discovered. The examples he most commonly provides are related to geography and chemistry. In the 17th or 18th century, if we were to look at a map of the world, there are clearly natural geographic locations that we had yet to explore. And similarly, in the 19th century, there were locations on the periodic table of elements that had not been filled in yet. This isn't to say that we've explored everything in either domain. However, it's likely that relatively speaking, we have catching up to do in domains like atoms, the biomedical field, and biotech. Fortunately, we've seen massive innovation in computing and related fields. So the resources available to explore biotech in the brain have increased tremendously. Moving forward, it's necessary that we inspire and create a culture where it's great to work in these areas. Thiel specifically mentions the benefits of being optimistic about uncovering secrets. He states, I think it's not because there's some law of nature that it's hard to innovate or impossible to innovate in these areas. It's just that there's been this cultural change where we haven't tried as much. A lot of this has a self-fulfilling character. If you think you can't find a secret, then you're not going to try, and you'll not look around, and you will not be a person that ever finds one. So failure and pessimism 
can have a self-fulfilling character. As conversely, if you think there's a lot to be discovered, progress can accelerate and more things can happen. Where do you think the field of neuroscience and biotech is going? Let me know in the comments below or on Twitter at Neuropod. If you like this info, please give a thumbs up, subscribe, check out the Patreon page, and all the good stuff. This is Ryan Tanaka. Thanks for listening. The next episode is coming out next Wednesday.